Psalm 78, 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us today at River Oaks. We're really, really glad to have you here. If you got a bulletin on the way in, you'll read about upcoming events there and the little Hey, I'm Here card, the perforated strip on the edge. We always appreciate it if you fill that out, whether it's your first time or you're here every week. You can drop that in the basket that will come around at the end of the service. This is a special day for us as a church. You may have noticed a birthday cake out there in the middle of the lobby. There should be one when you leave here at the end of this service. That's because this week marks our 19th anniversary as a church. Uh, yeah, it's okay to clap, and we're very grateful uh, for what the Lord has done over the years. Our first public service was held March 21st, 1999 at Forsyth Country Day School in Louisville, and we met there at Forsyth Country Day until we moved into this building in 2006. Now, interestingly, Today also marks the approximate 
two-year anniversary of our daughter church, Restoration Community Church, meeting on the south side of Winston-Salem. So they are celebrating their uh, second birthday today. They began March 20th, 2016, uh, very close to our birthday. So uh, we're grateful for that, and I'm grateful for what the Lord has done in our church over the years. But I have to tell you, I am even more excited about what is ahead for us in the years to come. This past summer, the elders on our church session began praying and discussing exactly that, what God would do in and through our church in the coming years. We were seeking to get his guidance as to how we specifically as a church could bear the most fruit we could possibly bear in the coming years we began asking, how can we best glorify God and make disciples? And that gave rise to the vision frame that you'll find if you have a bulletin in the, in the middle panel of your bulletin. It's in purple ink, and you'll see it on the screen. And uh, the frame begins on the right side with our answer to that question. How can we best glorify God and make disciples? And we feel that's by building followers of Jesus here who are sent to reach others. That is, as we grow spiritually here within our church, that we would each embrace our calling as those who are also sent to the world with the mission and the message of Jesus, with the love and the truth of Jesus to show the gospel and to share the gospel. We also began to seek to clarify our process for building followers of Jesus what we call our discipleship pathway. And you'll see that on the screen as well. And then to the left side of the vision frame, you'll see some values listed. There are seven of those, the seventh one being filled in today, what we're going to focus on this morning. The values are those things that we hope uh, will characterize our church, qualities that are present now, hopefully, but will be increasingly present in our years to come. The values are those <clears throat> things that might describe our church that you might use, hopefully, to describe our church. If you're having lunch with a friend and a friend says, tell me about that church you go to, River Oaks, what's it like? Ho what's it like? Hopefully some of these values would emerge in your conversation. Now the one today, the final of the seven values we're looking at, is next-gen focus. That is being focused on the next generation, the generation to come. We're looking at two passage of scripture, passages this morning. Uh, Allison read those a moment ago in her wonderful Scottish accent. Uh, the first passage being from Psalm 78. Psalm 78 was written by Asaph. Or if you come from North Carolina as I did, you might prefer to say Asaph. Uh, he was a temple worship leader in the time of King David. And the psalm in the heading tells us it is a maskeel, which was probably some type of musical term. So this psalm, as were many of the other psalms, was apparently written to be set to music. It also has a teaching purpose. And one of the purposes of the psalm, and we discover this in the first four verses, is that God calls his people to pass on his truth to the coming generation. And so we read these words of Asaph in the first verses, Give ear, my people, to my teaching. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. 
I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, things that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Asaph, inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving us this psalm, may have been reflecting on the history of the people of Israel and may have known what happened when the generation that followed Moses out of Egypt and saw the parting of the Red Sea, the generation that followed Joshua as he followed Moses, when that generation failed to pass on the works and word of God to the next generation. Because we read this in the book of Judges. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. The people followed God as long as Joshua and the elders that had served with him were there. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That simply means they died. They passed on. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the the, uh, idols. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods. That's a sobering thought. God had done extraordinary miracles. The people had seen these miracles, like the parting of the Red Sea. But once Joshua died, those truths had not been passed on to the coming generation. As you look at the words on the screen from Psalm 78, it seems that this call to pass on the truth of God to the coming generations is a call not just to individual parents, but to the whole community of God's people. Notice also... the statement about a parable. I'll open my mouth with a parable. I'll utter dark sayings from of old. If that sounds a little bit familiar to you and you've read the New Testament, it's because this very verse was applied to Jesus and his teaching ministry. You can see that in Matthew 13 on the screen. Jesus had been teaching, and the Bible says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them, Without a parable, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Quoting now from Psalm 78, so Asaph was a prophet as well. I will open my mouth in parables. I'll utter what has been hid since the foundation of the world. The point is simply that whether it's the Old Testament law and miracles of God or the New Testament teaching of Jesus, you and I have a responsibility to pass on the truth of God, the word and works of God to the coming generation. It's very important we do this because God has no grandchildren. He only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. Nobody enters the kingdom of God simply because their parents were in the kingdom of God. 
remember a conversation I had with someone one day about faith, someone not a part of our church, and I was talking about my faith, and the, the person immediately said, my dad was a Baptist pastor, and he proceeded just to talk about his dad. And I thought, that's great. What about you? What about your faith? Sometimes in a conversation like that, someone will say, my mother was the most godly person you've ever seen. Great. That's wonderful. What about you? Have you embraced the saving work of Jesus for yourself? The Bible says to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Each individual and each generation must respond to the gospel, the saving work of Jesus on the cross where he paid for our sins. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. Now, while God calls the whole community of his people to pass on his truth to the coming generation, he certainly specifically calls parents to teach their children by both example and by word. And we read, he established a testimony of Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know the Lord, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is a reflection of what was also taught earlier through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, uh, very famous words where Moses taught the Israelites, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then Moses goes on to share, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Parents are called to teach God's word to their children. But I would stress, don't forget the teaching that comes from your own example. As I reflect on my own childhood, my, my parents... Uh, took us to church. They were great people, believed in God and believers in Jesus Christ. And there were times my dad would open the Bible and share scripture with us, especially at Christmas around an Advent wreath like we sometimes have here. But I can actually not remember any specific Bible teaching growing up that I got from my dad. What I do remember about my dad is getting up on Sunday mornings coming up for breakfast and seeing my dad already up, sitting in the dining room with his Bible open and a pencil and a piece of paper preparing to teach the Sunday school class that he was teaching every week. That image is just fixed in my mind. It's one of the memories I have of my dad who died some years ago. Often children will remember our example more than the very specific things that we taught them. Both are important, but parents, children are going to observe your own commitment to the Bible. Not so much what you say about it, but how you honor it in your home. They're going to, they're going to remember how valuable prayer was to you by having seen you pray in the home. They will observe your financial integrity. 
and your generosity. They'll observe your compassion in the way you care for the poor. They'll observe the way you love when it's hard to walk in love and the way you forgive people rather than holding bitterness against them. All these things they'll observe. And they're a vital part of the way that you teach your children. One of the things I love about the Bible is its brutal honesty. Because in both the Old and New Testament, the Bible gives us the record of God's people, sometimes his chosen leaders. And the Bible reveals their very clear imperfections and their stumblings and their unbelief and their failures. Sometimes I hear people say, well, the Bible was written by, by people just to try to convince us this was true. If that was the case, I just can't see you know, God having recorded all these leaders and their failures. Some of those are in the Old Testament. They have to do with parenting. One of the examples we find there is that of the priest Eli. And in the book of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to Eli. He's a priest. He's really the spiritual ruler of Israel at this time. So we, we could certainly uh, consider that he was God's leader, God's chosen. But the Bible gives us this detail about this priest Eli. The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the book gives more detail about what his sons were doing, and it was terrible. And so God has called a young man named Samuel. He's going to be a prophet. He's being prepared for his prophetic ministry, living in the home of Eli. And one night, God speaks to the young boy Samuel. And part of what he says is this, on that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. The spiritual leader of Israel failed miserably to restrain his own sons in their horrific actions and their blasphemy of God. Now, when we think about people of the Old Testament, one of the greatest heroes has to be King David. We know David's sin. We read about that. The Bible doesn't hide that from us, his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. But it's easy to overlook one of his parenting failures, and that has to do with King David's son, Adonijah. Adonijah was one of his sons through his wife, Haggith. The Bible says, now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. The fact is, David had already decreed that his son Solomon would follow him as king. That was clear, that was known to all. That promise had been made to his wife Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. But Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, as David was about to die, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And then we get this little just sentence about Adonijah's life. His father, who was King David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? In other words, David had allowed this young man 
to continue as a self-centered person getting his own way. And now as an adult, he's rebelling against his very father. Just as the sons of Eli, because their father had not restrained them, were bringing judgment on their own father. The fact is, and I stress this for all parents, new parents, especially those of you who have young children, a failure to teach and discipline children is a failure to love them. We do them no favors when we fail to teach them discipline in life. Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't know where to start. The Bible's new for me. Uh, I'm a new parent. What should I do? i tell you a part of the Bible that I think is loaded with practical guidance is the book of Proverbs. Highly recommend that to you. So parents are called to this investment in the next generation by our teaching, and I think particularly important by our example. But God calls all believers to place a high value on children. Jesus, I believe, had taught this to his own disciples. We read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, that his disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? As Jesus answered their question, he, um, he caught a little child, and he put the child in the midst of them. And he said, truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever causes one of these who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened in his neck and to be thrown into the sea. So Jesus is stressing not only the example of humility provided us by children, but the incredible importance and value of children in his eyes. But then in the very next chapter of Matthew, we find this. Parents are bringing children to Jesus so he might lay his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples rebuked the people, considering it was perhaps an annoyance to, to Jesus but Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And Jesus laid his hands on the little children. The disciples apparently didn't have that message yet. It reminds me of a story that's told about the famous evangelist Dwight Moody. D.L. Moody was, in his day in the United States of America, the latter half of the 19th century, the 1800s, D.L. Moody was the Billy Graham of his time, a well-known evangelist. The stories recorded that one day Moody was walking down the street in Chicago and he met a man he knew. And this man knew he'd had an evangelistic meeting in town the night before. So he said, Mr. Moody, he said, how was your meeting last night? He said, fine. He said, were any saved? And he said, yes, two and a half. Two and a half. And the man looked a little perplexed and then he said, oh, I get it. Two adults and one child. He said, no. Two children and one adult. The adult's life is half over. The children have their entire lives 
ahead of them. I hope those of you who teach children, you work in Noah's Ark or Kids Rock, maybe you're school teachers in our community, uh, maybe you're one of our student leaders in youth, our youth leaders with our students. I hope you'll recognize that when you're bringing God's life and truth, you're helping children, you're investing in future leaders that have their entire lives ahead of them. You ever wonder what happened with those children Jesus laid his hands on and prayed for? I wonder how they turned out, what they ended up doing in life. What about you who teach in Noah's Ark or Kids Rock, maybe your school teachers? Think about the children you serve. What are they going to be doing 20 years from now? What leadership role might they have in the kingdom of God, in our world? God calls all believers to place a high value on children. But further, he calls all of his followers to be disciple makers. When we talk about our value being next generation focused as a church, it's true we're including having a great emphasis on our ministries to youth and children of all ages. That's always been a priority for us. We'll continue to be increasingly but we're not thinking only about children and youth. We're thinking about young adults. We're thinking about people who need to be discipled. We're thinking about future leaders. We're thinking about those who are going to follow us in the faith. I think about my own son, who is a, a senior in college. And when he got involved with a campus fellowship his first year as a freshman, there was an upperclassman, a senior, I think, who began meeting with him to help disciple him and help him in his faith. Our son's a senior this year, and he's doing the same thing with younger students. That's the pattern that we should be embracing in the church. And so, for those who are mature Christians here today, or you, you know, you've known Jesus Christ for, for a time, you've studied the Word, uh, you're fairly far along in your faith. Who's following you? Into whose life are you investing your time, your prayer? Who are you helping grow in their faith? The verses on the screen are the great mandate of Jesus that we often call the Great Commission, and it's a mandate of disciple-making. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This verse is foundational to our very existence as a church and to all churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to be disciple makers, every one of us. A failure to pass along the faith to future leaders is a failure at disciple making. The Bible gives us the pattern of what happens when leaders do bring along others who follow them in the faith. We see that example with Moses and with Joshua. We see it with the prophet Elijah and his follower Elisha. We see it with Jesus and his disciples. What a focus of Jesus' ministry was placed upon just 12 individuals. And we see it 
in the Apostle Paul, especially with his young follower, Timothy. We're introduced to Timothy in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul and his friend Silas were traveling around doing missions work, and they came to a place called Lystra. And when they came to Lystra, they learned of a believer there, a woman there who was Jewish but a believer. Her husband was a Greek, not a believer. And they learned that she had a young son, probably a teenager at that time, and he was well spoken of by the other believers there. His name was Timothy. And Paul realized someone needed to invest in this young man for what he might be, for what he might become. So Paul invited him to join them. He joined them on their mission's journey. Years later, in the Bible, we read of Timothy being a faithful, beloved son in the faith to Paul the Apostle. And I think the Bible gives us some insight into how Timothy became such a, a valuable leader in the church, how Paul brought him along in the faith, how Paul discipled him, and I think it's a model that we can apply ourselves. There are four things, I think, that stand out in the book of 2 Timothy as Paul is writing back to his young son in the faith that have to do with his own disciple-making in Timothy's life. The first is his prayer for Timothy. He writes back to him, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Wow. Paul poured a lot of prayer into this young man. And with good reason. When Paul would die, Timothy would continue on. Furthermore, encouragement. We read these words in chapter 1. Paul writes, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to, remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Paul knew Timothy had some spiritual gifts given by God, but he also knew Timothy struggled with timidity, with fear. And he encourages him, encourages him and who God is in him. And what God's called him to do. Encouragement. Furthermore, teaching. He writes to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, just like I've taught you, teach others who will be able to teach others. This is the pattern of multiplication in making disciples. As you and I grow in our faith, we're to be looking for other people into whom we can invest, whom we can disciple in the faith. We've been taught, who are we teaching? And then finally, his example. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. It stands out to me in this verse that teaching is mentioned once. And as important as it is, Paul mentions several different ways in which his example 
had apparently affected Timothy. One, he says, you've observed my conduct. You've observed the way I've lived my life. You've observed my aim in life, my purpose, my goals, my vision. You've observed my faith and my patience because I'm sure it had been tried many times. You've observed my love. He'd seen the way Paul walked in love when he was persecuted, when others had rejected him, when people even the church had heard him. He had seen Paul's life of love. And he said, you've seen my steadfastness, his perseverance. These things would have affected Timothy. And it's no wonder that when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said something remarkable, remarkable about his young son in the faith. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him. I would just ask this morning, those here, those of us who've known the Lord for a few years, um, we've learned some things about the Bible. We know we, we've got a long way to grow, but we've grown some. Who's following you? And whose life are you investing? Maybe a person newer in the faith than you. Who's going to follow you in the faith? As we draw to a close, just three questions by way of personal application. Number one, first and foremost... Be sure you are a disciple of Jesus. We're not disciples because our parents or grandparents were disciples, but because we've placed our own faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, and we are his followers. If you're a parent, I'd simply encourage you to ask yourself, how's my disciple making in the home? Am I making disciples first of my own children? And then for all of us, how can I invest in the next generation? Let's pray about that as we prepare to close. Father, how we thank you that someone shared the gospel with us. May have been a member of our family, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a co-worker. But we thank you that you use someone in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us and the lives of others to share your gospel and to help others in their growth by being disciple makers. Father, may we please be found faithful in passing on your word and your works, your truth and your love to the coming generation. May we be a disciple-making church. We ask, in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen.